Cards are getting a little bit ugly out there. Give them, give them all a cookie and make them settle down. So I posed the question to Ryan, how do we end up with the title of this episode as Die Hard Sexcapades? And we've decided to just turn this into a Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan podcast. Well, that's weird, because Ryan started to unclothe. <laughs> We're always unclothed for these podcasts, Evan. Oh, yeah. As our Patreon patrons know. That's a Patreon exclusive. Yeah, it is a Patreon exclusive. Our chests. <laughs> just yeah. chests. We're not sickos. No, we don't start nude. We start dressed up as diehard characters and then end up in the sexcapades. There's a bet somewhere in there if we get the first overall pick. <laughs> there is. Yeah. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, we got weird way earlier than we usually do. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. I'm Evan. And uh, Speaking of weird things, with, with uh, the Patriots winning today, my Twitter had a lot of weird Tom Brady kissing his son pictures i i got that, that is the too. weirdest i totally forgot that existed until till today and i remembered how cringy that made me feel what just like him giving his kid a kiss have you not seen that video it's it oh like my God, a Ryan. parent giving their kid a kiss is nothing weird except when someone when takes it lasts a still fu- screenshot of it and when it lasts it on five your- seconds and it's on the lips Oh. Yeah. It's really weird. And then when you see a still image of it, it, it doesn't help. I hate... Maybe don't watch it, because it changed me. <laughs> I hate involving, uh, sport, especially sports players, but public figures, kids, in like any kind of like media attention, any media release. It's listen, vastly uncomfortable. Listen, I object to that, not. because the most successful part of this podcast is Mika, if we're being honest. Yeah, I know, and I'm jealous, which is so why I'm trying to keep far. her out of it. So far. So far. She hasn't made a daring escape down here in, in some time now. It's been like a month or so. This is true. We're overdue. Has she tried to, has she tried to like uh, get into doors that she shouldn't since she's learned how to open them? Yeah, she tried walking out the front door at my grandparents' house a couple weeks ago. Well. That bad, eh? It was yeah. snowing. Oh, the in-laws. That was instant regret. She turned around immediately. <laughs> well, I joked today. I said, what happens if I just pushed her outside and then locked the front door? Like, how long would she, how long would it take her to start like a little army with uh, the other neighborhood kids and the vagrant dogs and cats around here. Um, the world would end quicker than it did in... Um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but oh, some zombie movie. You need to tie up the reference, Brad. Honestly, listeners. I don't remember the name of any of the characters in the movie. Um, Dawn of the Dead. That's what I'm going for. Uh, okay. Dawn of the Dead. I'm a big Shaun of the Dead guy. Yeah. You know, both those movies were in production at the same time, and supposedly there were... Like, the title mix-up was a coincidence. Wow. Really? Yeah, like there wasn't like Sean or the maybe it, maybe it was Shaun of the Dead was in production at the same time, and they made the title as like a riff on Dawn of the Dead, but like the movie wasn't intended to be a riff on Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Both good movies. What are you a uh, bigger fan of, Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead? Shaun of the Dead. I think I'm a Hot Fuzz guy. Yeah, Shaun of the Dead's a close second. I think it's a recency bias because I actually rewatched Shaun of the Dead probably about four months ago, and I haven't seen Hot Fuzz in close to a decade. Oh so. man, Hot Fuzz holds up; it really yeah. does. So, so does Shaun of the Dead. It though they both do. But if if we're really breaking it down, I'm a Zombie Land guy through and through. The they're making a sequel. Yes, with, with the all, same characters. With the same characters, Which they tried. They so tried good. making a show out of it, and the pilot with new characters was such a train wreck. They just out and out scrapped it. Yeah, of so, course. Now that they're getting... It's funny because since this, the original Zombieland came out, the ads are going to be so much different for the next one because 
Um, I think someone was saying all four of the main characters since the original Zombieland have either been nominated for or won an Academy Award. <laughs> the budget also just went up tenfold. <laughs> I have some. I have a little bit uh, a number riddle for you guys. Oh, I don't feel like thinking. Tell me how here. these three numbers relate: 102, 85, and seventy-six. 102, 85, and seventy-six are those sections of Jolos Arena I have threw up in. Uh, no, but close. Is it hockey-related? Yes. It's right. hockey-related. Uh, the projected point totals for Toronto's top three centermen. No, but you're getting warmer. Okay. Should I just tell you? Yeah, this will take a while. Those are the top three points for the Philadelphia Flyers players last year. Claude Giroux, Jakub Voracek, and Sean Couturier. And they are last in the league with 14 ROW. Yeah, they have less ROW than Detroit now. Big, I think our third and fourth lines yikes. didn't even get 100 points combined. Detroit's no. leading scorer no. was literally Dylan Larkin, and he had, what, 60... 60 it's like 67. 63. No, I think it was like 63, 62. He is on pace for like uh, 82 this year. No, he's on pace for like... Oh, sorry, no, high, sorry, 74. High, high 70s, yeah. yeah. Let me... Uh, one sec. I got it right here. 63, <laughs> 56, and 48. Oh, my God. And we're ahead of them. For now. To be fair, though, Detroit has two <laughs> players right now on pace to break 30 goals, which they have not had... Uh, they have not had a single 30-goal score since 2009. So this is a h- historic season, Evan. Yeah, Mantle last year had 24 goals, 24 assists. Uh, Detroit right now is fourth last in the league. Um, I, I know this. I'm going to say the exact same thing, same thing I've said a couple episodes ago. Fourth last in the league. All three teams behind them have at least a game in hand. Philly has two games in hand. If And all of them could catch up in points. Um, and all of them would pass Detroit. Because the thing is, unless Philly won both games in a shootout, I think the teams <coughs> lower than Detroit should project higher. Like Ottawa, just because they're bad now, I feel like they should win more games than they have at this current time of the year. But Ottawa. So here's the thing: Ottawa also doesn't make sense. Ottawa at the be- before the season started, we all said they are going to be the worst team, and then they started off incredibly hot and we were all like alright maybe they'll just be mediocre which is kind of bizarre because by all rights they should be bad they are now as bad as we are projecting every, well, not just us everyone was projecting them to be so I think Ottawa is going to be in this dance with Detroit LA you mean Colorado yeah Colorado that's that's depressing yeah it is very depressing oh what are their centers going to look who's their second line center right now Colorado yeah Yes, you? Is it you? I'm the. They, is this a trivia they, question? No. Do they have a second line center? <laughs> <laughs> I legitimately. You could if it, if they don't, you could do it. it. Does, I, oh, who's Boston's second? Oh, it's David Krejci, isn't it? Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Imagine having David Krejci or anyways. Um, L. A. is a team where before the season no one thought they'd be this bad, but then you look at their lineup, you're like, oh yeah, I, could, I can understand. I don't why. feel bad at all because I don't really like Ilya Kovalchuk. No, but here's the thing with L. A. As as slow as they are. You still think when your goalie is Jonathan Quick, when your number one defenseman is Drew Doughty, and your number one center is Anshay Kopitar, that that alone should at least get you to, like, 20th. I want Red Wings fans to consider what Brad just said and then wonder if this team really is just one or two pieces away from competing. Who, L.A. or Detroit? Detroit. Like, if we're talking, a gen- are, are we a Drew Doughty and an Anshay Kopitar? Well, yeah, if you put those two players on Detroit right now, they're probably in a playoff spot. If Chalowski was <laughs> yeah. as good as Doughty and Larkin was as good as Kopitar and our goal- one of our goalies was performing at as well as like, Quick could in his prime, 
Detroit was still would it be that much better than they are now? No, not that much better. But if you just took those that forward and that defenseman and just inserted them into Detroit as they are now. Oh yeah, that would change a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. Because then Dylan Larkin is your number two center, and you actually have a number one defenseman. So Philadelphia at last in the league really puzzles me, though. They that's a team of underperformers. And it's funny too because as bad as their goaltending was, they've now tied the NHL record for most goalies used in a season, and it's January. Um, Carter Hart's been fine since yeah. he's come up. So he's, he's not been lighting the world on fire, but he's been giving them go- good enough goaltending where they should be winning some games. I don't watch enough or see enough Philadelphia Flyer analysis to really know what's going on. Other than, you know, start of the year, it's like, well, where the hell's their goaltending? Sometimes and now it's like, what? What? Too much change in one year? Sometimes it's as simple as saying a lot of pl- players regress at the same time. Yeah. I have a buddy who's... I can't uh, imagine, sorry, I can't imagine the the spirit levels are too high when you watch a coach and a GM. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, the revolving door of goalies, and you're just watching your team lose games every game, it would be hard to rally for sure. As, as much as we, by and large as a fan base, disapprove of Blashill and Holland, it probably does help the players to have this level of consistency over time in Detroit where it's just... You get you've had the same GM forever, and then you change coaches like once or twice a decade. Yeah, the which is why I kind of advocate to kind of have that red wedding that Philly has in Detroit right now. Send them to plummeting into the basement, guarantee <laughs> Jack Hughes. Well, there's a lot of you know, it, it's not like we fire Blash Hill and there's no options available for no. coaching. There's lots of that's of, my argument for that. A lot yeah. of you know, com- uh, competent coaches. I mean, will we get Quenville? Probably not. But I think there's a lot of other coaches, and one we've interviewed on this podcast, who would be an excellent fit as a coach. At least, you know, I'll give him a shot. What does it matter right now? None at all. But again, we're going to... It's it's weird because Blashill, it's weird to see a lame duck coach go into the offseason without a contract extension, but we've been down this path before, so who knows what's going to happen. Or you see happen. every other bottom five team just gutting their, their staff, there's, except for us in Ottawa. And not even just bottom five teams. There's been, what, seven coaches fired this year? Approximately, is that how many? It's been a lot. Well, oh boy, Philly, St. See, Louis. that's why I don't want to get into coaching. Just too much volatility. <laughs> yes, that's why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, God forbid, I could never tolerate making three million dollars for only three years. That'd be terrible. I don't know how you'd sleep. No, oh, geez, that's why I work in the public sector right now for the money. <laughs> Getting paid once a month. <laughs> oh man, is that something? Yeah. Nice to look at the bottom line. You see how much your how much of your money has gone to taxes. I actually don't even look at my bank account up until payday at the end of every month. I just can't. Like I know where I'm at. I just like being paid monthly is so garbage. When I started at Sun Life, I had three paychecks all in as one because of just how it worked out. And the amount that I paid in taxes was I didn't. I never looked after that. I didn't no, look yeah. Again. There's there's no. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that to yourself. So Detroit right now is is on pace for 75-ish points, I think it is. That that bad. Yeah, yeah. That even seems high. <laughs> that actually does seem high. But again, it's the age of purity, right? Where so, even the bad teams are tolerable. Someone, uh, uh, I think I saw a comment, a couple of comments, because I think the last couple episodes we started mentioning for the first time, like earnestly, like when we talk about write-off years, we started to include next year, and I think this is like the third consecutive year where we've predicted a year in advance it's going to be a write-off. And someone said, don't write off next year yet. Until like, we get someone, we draft someone who comes into the lineup, and it inspires me to think 
that next year's not a write-off, I think I'm going to continue to save. I'm not going to write off next year until July 2nd, no matter, yeah. w- no matter what happens. Because, um, again, everybody was down on Philip Zadina uh, after the World Juniors, but in his first game back with Grand Rapids, he scored two goals and had an assist, and the assist and one of his goals were of the highlight I'd rather variety. see him scoring in a professional league than yeah. at a world junior event. Exactly. And there's the possibility Detroit wins up with Jack Hughes. And even if Detroit lands, I, I know they said they're going to be aggressive and maybe go after multiple free agents this summer. But even if they land just one big name free agent, you're inserting Philip Zadina, Jack Hughes, and or Capocacco, and a, a, maybe like a Matt Duchesneur and Eric Carlson in the lineup next year. Yeah, no, that's a much, much better hockey team. Yeah, if we land somebody in free agency. And you know what? Let's say we f- we finish fourth in the draft. You know, we're still going to get someone who could probably, well, depending on what we do with some of our aging talent. Um, These days, fourth overall picks usually step into sorry, the did lineup. Did you say aging talent? Yeah, aging. I'm trying to I'm trying to be less pessimistic. Aging warm bodies. Yeah, I'm glad both of you have taken this approach of being more optimistic in 2019. So that way, I don't have to kid myself this year. Yeah, yeah. No, I am. We get well. This episode's point of optimism is real easy. We're coming off uh, a little threesy, Bert. <laughs> oh, God. Piss off. Oh, God. <laughs> I was, we had all the titles and all the easy, easy puns lined up, and then he had to go and score that third goal. Is this So is this episode title uh, Lil Threesy Bert or Bert Threesy? I like the second one. I like Bert Threesy. B-E-R-T, the number three, Z-Z-I. Has more marketability. It does. Bert Threezy. Yeah. It, it will not be searchable. Is it Bert Threezy or Bert Threezy? Oh, that's, yeah, that's hard. Uh, I don't know. I think you have to put Bert in there. Otherwise, <laughs> this isn't going to populate on anyone's searches anywhere. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, um, Bertuzzi had, so Detroit has played two games since the last time uh, we were on here. Um, and the first game was a, a, a game against Winnipeg, in which I think they didn't really play up into the, their potential and still looked way better than Detroit um, with a 4-2 win. It was actually, it, it became a little bit closer, but they scored the empty netter. Yeah, because Winnipeg was up 3 nothing, and Detroit came back. Really a nice 2-1 ogle between uh, Luke Lendening and Philip Hronick. As expected. That sounds like something... Uh, generated by like uh, one of those machine learning things that like listens to our podcast and then spits out a script, like something that just makes no sense at the yeah. early stages before it starts refining its algorithm. Yeah. Uh, anyways, but that's a real thing that happened. Um, Detroit lost that game in regulation, which is really it pushed them pretty aggressively far down in the standings. Like it, it kind of firmed up their spot there. That and two wins in the last eleven games will also do that. Yeah, and then Detroit followed up the second night with. Uh, Pretty convincing 5-2 win against Minnesota in regulation, obviously in regulation. What I would consider is their only dominant game this year. The, the one game this year where we can say, yes, Detroit just absolutely ran a team's show. Yeah. Bruce Brojo said that was the worst game Minnesota's played since he started coaching there. I mean, yeah, that was off. That was actually embarrassing for Minnesota. The shots were, what, 38-19? to 19? Yikes. That's... 19 shots against the Red Wings defense. Yikes. Mind you... Right now, the current iteration of Detroit's defense isn't that bad because this does employ uh, Jensen Green, Hronik, and Chalowski on the regular. So and that's tolerable. Kaiser and Erickson? No, Erickson and Cronwell. 
Oh boy. Although, oh, boy. although Cronwall led the team a nice time to figure oh, that one boy. out. Hey, Cronwall's uh, turning back the clock a little bit this year. But I've I figured something out. It's still not turning it back quite enough. Well, <laughs> I figured something out though here. <laughs> Jeff Blashill fully embraces the youth movement. And he embraces it by playing Nicholas Cronwall the most of any defenseman. He's gonna whether or not Cronwall's planning it or not, he's gonna drive him to retirement the same way he did Henrik Zetterberg, just by playing him in a holy amount of minutes in a bunch of games that don't matter. Yep. Uh, I love the whole. We don't want to expose these guys to uh, those uh, high intensity situations that they might not be prepared for yet. You mean the uh, ones they've done their entire life against the best players at their level? Was that Jeff Blashill, Mike Babcock, or Bob and Doug McKenzie? Yes. And uh, these, you know, they got a lot of talent, but um, they're not quite equipped yet to handle the uh, the professional game to 25, 30 minutes a night. And so uh, we want to protect them a little bit, protect their growth. So by the time they're 35, we might uh, be able to play them uh, in an overtime period and then they'll uh, retire. And uh, the Red Wings will be bad for the next 25 years. I wish I had a good memory and could go back like 15 years and see how our player deployment was back then well the between 2000 it's the same, play, it's the same players that are being played now that's yeah exactly. I, you know see who the young guys are and do that did they play as few minutes and did the old guys take most of the minutes i, I truly always, don't remember it's always been the old guys since the 80s honestly there's uh, two things i've changed though uh, the Red Wings old guys, the Red Wings don't have like all the top talents in the league, like at the age of 30, from the ages of like 28 to 35, like they used to. And also the game has changed where uh, it skews a lot more heavily towards younger, faster players being more dominant. So it's harder for teams to have dominant players at the age of 33 to 35. Honestly, though, when uh, when your older guys are Fedorov, Iserman, Lidstrom, yeah, Shannon, it's different. It's fine. Yeah, I'd be playing them a million minutes a night, too. Um but yeah, like I think there was a get one of the two last two games. Cholosky only played 14 minutes, and again, I actually don't hate the argument of let's not overexpose the young guys and uh, <sighs> overplay them. But I'm also not a believer in let's only play them 14 minutes. Like, what's the average ice time for defensemen in the NHL? Usually somewhere around 16 to 19. I, I would guess. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm the, okay with I guess 14 minutes, so long as the next game's a little higher. Honestly, on a team where Detroit, where they don't have a number one defenseman, and there's not that big a gap between like your number one and your number four guy, I just roll out the three yeah. minutes pretty equally, and then maybe the bottom pair gets like a minute or two less. Oh, they're getting they're getting 20. <laughs> Here's my thing. Early on in the season, maybe for how they played Heronik and Shulak and, and uh, whoever else at the beginning of the season when there was all those injuries, or um, Larkin with not wanting to give him the captaincy, um, I can understand protected minutes, protected situations then. But 47 games into a season when these guys know what the team is, the, the league has more or less calmed down in terms of the volatility of those early games. Just give them the ice. Like what's, Red- It's not going to hurt them. Are the Red Wings the old boys club? Are yes, they one of those yeah. teams? They have always been the poster child for that. Well, it's... Edmonton has been. In the front office, not on the ice. Edmonton had all everybody from the 80s working for their team. Yeah, Detroit is a watered-down version of Edmonton's old boys club with a better, slightly better talent evaluation, which is why they've been good. Yeah. That's what, which is, And I'm talking from like 2010 to now. Because before that, yeah, they were the old boys club, but again, they had all those players that we yeah. talked about. But just now, their, their talent evaluation is mildly better, and they have holdovers from the previous generation that keeps them afloat. Meanwhile, Edmonton's like the word. Edmonton's like the most radical old boys club there is. Oh yeah, they still employ Peter Shirley for reasons. I. 
can't possibly understand what it's going to take now to fire that man. He a hundred percent has evidence of ownership being like, you know, lizard people from space, and he'll threaten to expose them if I. I there's no. Why are they? Why? Everything comes back to Peter Shirelli. That's how it works in the NHL. Yeah. He, he's the puppet master, truly. But uh, getting back to the Red Wings defense, uh, so there's been a bit of concerning news. So one of the things I mentioned a week or two ago about optimism is uh, Dennis Cholosky was sitting third um, amongst rookie defensemen in points per game this year, trailing only Miro Heiskanen and Rasmus Dahlin. Uh, he has now been leapfrogged. He is sitting fourth. Oh, terrible news, Brad. Yes. Um, Philip Ronick now sits number three. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're th- – this is why I'm not too upset um, with what Detroit's doing with Hronik and Cholosky. There's some things I would tweak, but they're playing well. And if they're playing well, then whatever's going on, I'm okay with. Because if playing them an extra five minutes a night results in more Ws, then this is probably the right way to go about it. Yeah. Um, they're playing well. Um, Chalosky, most of his production is coming on the power play. Hronik, most of his is coming from even strength, which is the exact opposite of what I was expecting from those two. Mm-hmm. But again, these are the third and fourth best defense, rookie defensemen in the league by points per game metric, trailing only first overall pick Rasmus Dahlin and what, third overall pick Miro Haskinen? Yeah, he's good. They're both um, really good. I'm okay with how this is playing out right now. It's really, really refreshing to see because Hironic was the guy last year we were watching in Grand Rapids and saying he's dominating, he's got all those tools. If you can translate this into the NHL, you're looking at a very real chance of this guy being a solid second-pairing guy. And that's a really good thing. Like, I, I know that might come off as like, well, we're looking for first pairing, so that's not good. No, no, no. First pairing is rare. It's not what you have. There's no point of attaching that value to this guy. It'll just set your expectations too high. He could be a solid second-pairing guy who could produce. You now have two defensemen who show that they can produce. That's two uh, power play units where you can put a... a You're 50% a, of the way there. You just need two more. Yeah, <clears throat> better, better, but yeah. And it's worth noting, Detroit is not using Hronik on the power play right now. No. Oh, Which, why would we? We've got Erickson's wrist shots, and uh, <laughs> we've got Cronwell just standing there. Well, they've got Green on the first unit, so well, I, yeah, I cannot argue that. Is he healthy right now? I can't. It's hard, hard to eat. Relatively speaking, yeah. <laughs> like, define healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on the second unit, they have Cronwell and Chalosky deployed. Now, there was the first or second first or second power play in uh, the game against Winnipeg. Um, they didn't put Chalosky out there. I don't know if he had an equipment issue or was an injury, but it went dramatically bad and then I guess they pulled someone else off and put Chalosky on with Cronwall which I have no idea why Cronwall's on the power play at this point anymore but either way Chalosky scored a power play goal in that game against Winnipeg so it ended up working and I mean yeah like I said this whole season we've talked all year it's about development I don't care where any of these guys are playing what they're doing as long as we're doing what's best for their development Zadina clearly needed a year in Grand Rapids great I'm thrilled with that Sarah Irvy's doing great in Grand Rapids scored again last night I'm at the point, though, Hronik should never play another game in Grand No, Rapids. he should He's, not go down. He is a full-time... He looks comfortable. He looks confident. That goal he scored against, what was it, Washington, where Larkin had that wicked one-timer pass. Hronik was at the hash marks, bombed up the ace. His reads up ice That was are, a fantastic read of the rush. His timing on jumping in is 
phenomenal. The goal where he set up Luke Lynn, it was a shorthanded goal against Winnipeg where he was the one making the pass on a 2-1-0. Stop yelling at me. How does he even know to make that play? But he's just got that instinct that you can't teach. Yeah. His defensive game, much like Cholosky's, isn't awful, but it's definitely a work in progress. But he was, And he was a point-per-game player in Grand Rapids this year. He has nothing left down there. I'm a, I'm a big uh, proponent of picking up guys who can either play two ways or if you have a lot of offensively talented defensemen, make sure you can back them up with like the uh, uh, Vlasics of like Santos, like guys who really know how to play defense. I think defense is so sorely undervalued because the world of advanced statistics, which is still new and fresh and needs a lot of refinement, has not figured out ideal ways to quantify and uh, communicate defensive ability um but at the same time the detroit red wings right now have defensemen most of their defensemen are bad both ways so at least right now add the heronics who can and add the chaloskis and get make those guys the focal point of the defense who can at least play one way and be serviceable imagine where our defense would be excuse me if erickson ever you know didn't fall off a cliff and continued to develop like that one year that seems like forever years ago where it we thought this guy is the real deal. And imagine if DeKaiser turned into more than what he is now, where he was basically every team said, you can come to our team, we'll make a spot for you. So, we have four highly capable defensemen, but, you know. I don't think Erickson ever fell off a or cliff. I think, he, well, I think he'd fell off a cliff, and that cliff was the exact same size and shape as Nicholas Litstrom as your defensive partner. Yes. Yeah. That was oh nine, right, where that started? Around then it might not be exactly yeah. then, but and uh, but do, truly to have truly fallen off a cliff, Duke Heiser is a great example. But regardless, but but to be fair, he's had a decent season. Yeah, he, he looked he looked competent uh, while he was playing this year. He did not look like he did early in his career, but he looked a hell of a lot better than he did the last couple seasons. Yeah, so. I don't think he'll ever. I think it's a bit late to expect him to progress how he was supposed to. But he's he's a pretty competent bottom pairing defenseman. Yeah, like if, yeah. if the Kaiser's your four or five guy, you're probably a pretty good hockey team now. The downside yeah. is you're paying your four or five guy five million dollars. But honestly, when you're structuring this hockey team now, you can't worry about that. You just have to slot guys in where they need to be slotted. Yep. Although I really, really, really think that DeKaiser could have been sold to Edmonton. Oh, he still really could. I think he still can. Yeah. Do um, not lose faith, my friend. <laughs> but um, DeKaiser does lead us into the transition, which is the next point, coupled with how well Heronik's playing is what happens when DeKaiser and Daly come back because the defense as they are structured now like if you pull out Erickson and put DeKaiser in there that's almost based on the personnel they have my ideal scenario but that's not how Detroit's going to do it when DeKaiser and Daly come back they're both going in the lineup and it is almost certainly not Erickson coming out Witkowski where? He's not even playing right now well, oh. they could send him down. He's right? he would ha- almost certainly have to go to Grand Rapids. Uh, this is a great segue into into what the next point is, which is trade talks, especially involving Nick Jensen. Uh, Nick Jensen has gone from someone over the past couple of years where we've said serviceable piece uh, guys or teams looking for depth for a run could pick him up for cheap and it would help Detroit's logjam and they can get an asset. To now, as you mentioned before the show, Elliot Friedman is mentioning him. He's getting a lot of chatter could get a lot of value back like teams are high on him he's no longer just uh you have to follow detroit uh closely to know who this guy is like he's seen as an asset a defensive asset which aren't really i think he's getting a ton of minutes right now too yeah now i don't want to go 
too extreme here because markets adjust over time and adapt. But from what Elliot was saying and other things I've been reading right now, there's probably more interest currently in Nick Jensen than there was in Brendan Smith when we traded him. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying that we're getting a second and a third for Nick Jensen. That is almost certainly not going to happen because the market has adjusted. Teams have realized that you don't overpay for these mediocre rentals. That being said, if you told me two months ago a second round pick by itself was an option for Nick Jensen, I'd have said you're dreaming. Uh, maybe Jensen and or DeKaiser would instantly make the Oilers defense better. Not by a lot, but I could see them overpaying. God, I can't believe there's teams out there that pulling defensemen off Detroit would improve their team. But yeah, anyways. that's a bad look. That's a bad look. Imagine. You never know if an injury occurs for a team, a fringe playoff team or a team that has a serious chance at contending. Or you Nick could, Jensen's a great complimentary piece. Imagine you're an Edmonton Oilers player and you wake up one day and you realize you're Brandon Manning, and that's terrible for you if you're a hockey player. <laughs> that has terrible implications, so then Oilers will have to replace that. So No, but it's but relating it back to the Red Wings right now, the <laughs> ideal scenario, and I'm going to say ideal realistic scenario because as much as we would love to move Erickson or DeKaiser's contract, it's not happening. No, that won't. It's, it looks like it's almost a foregone conclusion that Nick Jensen would be traded. That would free up one spot, but that's we. if you want to keep Cholosky and Hironik in the lineup, you still have to free up another spot. And there has been chatter that Daly's been getting some attention because he's only got one year left after this. And as, as much as we dump on the guy, he does not have a big cap hit, so it's easily moved. Why do people want him? I don't, I don't know. He's having the worst season of his career. Yeah, and it's been steadily downhill. But if I'm Ken Holland, that's that's my solution. I'm getting uh, if if he wants to hold out to the last minute to get max value for Jensen I'm totally okay. We traded with it. Kindle, we can trade Daily. That's yeah. true. So then you're left with your Green to Kaiser, Heronic, Chalosky, Erickson, Cronwall. And as much as I dislike putting him in the lineup, you're still not screwed depth-wise because if you do have another injury, Witkowski can plug in. So this I know well, he Hall- plugs. That's for sure. Oh, and yeah. I know, oh, I know, yeah. Ken Holland's a big proponent of you always want depth available for injuries, and I actually agree with that philosophy. But I think he takes it to the extreme. You shouldn't be so concerned with that when your team is not in competition for anything, especially when he's ha- you have Hicketts, you have Sulak, you have Brian Lashoff. He's got depth. It's at least two defensemen need to be traded by the deadline here, because again. If for no other reason than to just keep giving Chalosky and Hronik. If he doesn't trade Daly, but he scratches an Erickson or scratches Daly or whoever to keep Hronik in the lineup, I'm fine with it. Because I understand that right now the likely return on a Trevor Daly is a sixth round pick. And I, hey, I would whatever. Take, I would take a guess so Ken Holland values Daly. Uh, vet- his veteran presence more than he values <laughs> oh. a six-round pick. Like, but we just gave him a thousandth game plaque. He is on a, the grip per 60 chart, too. So, <laughs> so re- under, realistically, as long as Hronik and Cholosky are getting the minutes and we get a half-decent return on Jensen, like, honestly, I'd be content with a third. It's a real shame that we can't move Mike Green either because he's another guy teams want, but he's got a full no-move. Until so, next year's trade deadline. So. Yeah, so we're screwed for now. That yeah, was such an asinine contract. Uh, sorry, not that's that's an <laughs> exaggeration because the guy is good, but like, why do you? We're way need better that right with now? him in the ro- in the lineup. That's for sure. Mike Green is so much. Like, yes, he he could like he is the like, Detroit is like I think way like eight or nine wins better with him in the lineup, but at the same time, why do they need that right now? Okay, give my, him to a team that needs to be needs to get over that hump. 
Now, I'm going to actually have a counter argument to this. I don't even know if I fully believe this myself, but... That's what the, this podcast is all about. Yep. The Red Wings are a team that believe heavily in a veteran presence, and I always think it's bull crap because... That's Justin, why we have Vanek. Justin Abdelkader, Thomas Vanek, and like Jonathan Erickson are not teaching the young guys anything, Okay. I do think having Mike Green around is a positive influence on Chalowski and Hronik. Oh, that God, that yeah. is a guy that you would want those two learning from. So if Hronik, for whatever reason, does not go down for the rest of the year, having the rest of this season with Mike Green and then a good chunk of next season to learn from him, I actually do see yeah. the value in that. So I don't, That's fair. I don't think Green's contract was so asinine because of that factor. Um I thought at the time Thomas Vanek's contract was more asinine because you signed a one-year uh, a veteran to a one-year deal with a no-move clause. Agreed. And then I watched Thomas Vanek this year and realized it doesn't matter. Nobody's taking him. So I don't think him. anybody was taking him last year either. No, they didn't. Vancouver literally did not even get a draft pick for him. They um, had to take back like a, a C-level prospect. I've read a lot of things that Vanek is actually really good with the younger players. And he's oh, always asking him. them questions like, yeah. oh, what do you think about this? And he's like picking their brains to instill some knowledge in theirs. And I think that I, you know what, who cares at the end of the day, who cares? Yeah. And if, if it helps one young player just a little bit, it, it'll be worth it. There's uh one thing left or sorry, not one thing left. Uh, there's now like kind of an established group of players that Detroit could trade. There's no, high-end pieces that are going to garner, you know, some mega deal, but Detroit hasn't had that in forever. Um, you have Nyquist, you have Howard, you have Jensen, and then you have like a wild card that could be anyone of Daly or someone else might unexpectedly move. I think Detroit will end up moving one to two guys as trade deadline, but it's it is good because it makes for an exciting deadline for Detroit fans. You never yeah. know; some team could come out of nowhere and come in with a, a, a trade or a um. What am I trying to say? Where where are my words? Someone could be asking for someone and. Put something together that we never thought we were going to get. 100%. And be like, oh, okay. It's happened we'll look, at what, look at what Detroit got for Brendan Smith and yeah. Thomas, yeah. Thomas Tatar. Like, those were that, that those two players garnered a first two, uh, a first two seconds and two thirds. Yep. That's nuts. And that yeah. first turned into Joe Valeno, and one of those seconds so far has turned into Jonathan Bergeron. Yeah. Yeah. So you never know. Peter Shirley could come out, wake up one day, have this crazy thought, and all of a sudden we're looking at a Another trade we didn't think was well, going to come. One of the one of the landing spots that makes an absolute ton of sense for Gustav Nyquist is Edmonton. Yeah. This is a team that is only two to three points out of the playoffs any given night right now in a Western Conference that is laughably bad. How is Minnesota holding down a playoff spot, by the way? Anyways. Yeah, that, that Western Conference. Like, it's, Anaheim is still in a playoff spot? Are they, they just dropped out and Minnesota was the team that replaced them. Ten games. They had, they had to have ten straight losses to... To drop out of the Edmonton's playoffs. won's uh, ten game stretch of six, three, and one from comfortably holding a playoff spot. That that bottom part of that conference is so bad right now. So one of the a team like Edmonton, who they're not trying to tank, they're actively trying to move up. A Gustav Nyquist to put on a line with McDavid or to put on a line with Nugent Hopkins. It's ideal. It's perfect. Now he becomes a thirty goal scorer minimum. Yeah, and. The question is, is Edmonton going to give up a premium to get a rental when they're not guaranteed a playoff spot? Probably not, which is the sticking point. So you look at a team like Nashville for Nyquist, who's like, okay, we are going to be one of the best teams in the league, so they will pay more. It's just, is he willing to waive? Because he does have the no move. Nyquist is the player I feel, if if you're not going to get a Wayne Simmons, for example, I feel like Nyquist compliments 
a lot of teams' rosters really well. And if I was a team, I wouldn't be looking at the top of the board. I would be looking a little further down at a Nyquist. But then you're going to pay Nyquist prices further down the board, which is like a second round pick, and that's about it. If Edmonton wasn't spending to the cap right now, I think they have like 50 grand in cap space. The thing that gets me irrationally excited right now, though, is the fact that Detroit has two things that Edmonton desperately needs. They have a fast puck-moving defenseman who shoots right Nick Jensen, and they have a, uh, a second-line scoring winger in Gustav Nyquist. Gustav Nyquist would be, I think, a 70-point player with on a line of Connor McDavid. Yes. And then the part that gets really rational is that every rumor I'm hearing is that Jesse Pugliarvi's future in Edmonton is yes. uncertain. If Please. they weren't spending to the cap, I could see, I would well, say what's like... What's Jensen's cap? It? It's like a million bucks, maybe? Oh, yeah. He's he's, 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 he's making less than a million. Um, <laughs> God, the, combined, they're making about five, but I'm sure... I'm sure the Oilers have a one player in an expiring contract who they could just move to Detroit or two just to free up the cap space. Uh, hey, we're getting a Brandon Manning. The only player... Not necessarily him, but someone like that, <laughs> yeah. sure. Only um, player that's making more than a million dollars whose contract expires next after this year is Tobias Reeder for two mil. Cool, and Detroit retains half of Nyquist and Jensen to get Pugliarvi. And- well, there's also Alex Petrovic and... <laughs> You know. oh, that's a bad look if they trade Manning or Petrovic. But Cam Jensen's Talbot. an upgrade. So here's the thing: like, if they weren't spending to the cap, they could easily put together a package for Nyquist and one of like Jensen or like Dick Heiser. And it's not happening, Ryan. Get off the deck. please, please. <laughs> well, we'll just entertain your thought. They could put together a package for Nyquist and Jensen, which would be a huge get for any team, really. That that that's one where I, even if we get a good return from Edmonton, I'd look at that from Edmonton's perspective and go, "Well done. That would, this was useful." They for might you. win around in the playoffs with that. That honestly might change the outlook of their season and put it at least in the green they, for the rest. Yeah, of Yeah, let's say they finish third in their division. Who's second right now? Oh, oh God! Um, oh, God. That division right now it goes Calgary, San Jose, Vegas. Uh, I don't like I don't like your odds against San Jose, but you know you win around. They you would know, be. It's probably worth it considering how bad this year is. The only sounded thing, in Edmonton. Realistically, a wild card is only their option, and they're probably getting Winnipeg or Calgary. Which, by the way, I'm here for those all Canadian playoff series that we don't see often enough anymore. Um, it's the ebbs and flows of how many Canadian teams are in the playoffs. God, what I wouldn't give to see a Calgary. One year there's like series. 14. Yeah. Ca- oh, I miss those. I miss them so much. I would much. pay so much money to watch a Calgary-Edmonton playoff series right now. Edmonton, like, honestly, if I'm Torelli and I'm looking for realistic moves that might make the season go better, Detroit is a goldmine. Detroit is a goldmine for any team that's looking to get that extra little edge in the playoffs. It doesn't make sense for Detroit to be target like, for us to be talking about teams like you know Chicago who don't aren't going to give up their first like very high end first round picks that's just just not going to happen. Oh my God, would Trelly give up his first round pick? But this is like this is a year where there's a lot of teams that are fringe teams in the West who could end up really low, but are still for whatever reason making a push. Detroit is the perfect target for them. They have assets that are attainable. These aren't like Eric Carlson blue chip pieces where you have to sell your almost your entire farm no. to get. They can be had for less than what Tatar was got for um, or something in that range, and it could legitimately make a difference. It's not We're not selling snake oil here. Even DeKaiser, as much as I joke about that, I legitimately think playing the way he is would make Edmonton better right now. Yes, but cap. Cap. And they have fifty grand left, and they need about ten, one hundred times more than that. Yeah, two thousand. <laughs> but yeah, so circling back to the point, realistically, I think there's four Red Wings 
who could be moved at the deadline. Howard, Jensen, Nyquist, Daly. If I had to put money on the table, I'm going to say two of them get moved, and Nyquist and Jensen are the most likely. Uh, we were talking about deployment before, and I saw some stats tweeted out, I want to say by Prashanth. Um, it might have been someone else, by way of someone else. Um, it was the Larkins line, uh, Corsi 4, I believe, with and without Abdulkader. Without Abdulkader, it's like an 8 to 9% difference. Oh, my God. That's not good. Yeah. And, and as far as Corsi goes, 9% is a massive yeah, difference. It goes from like 51 or 52 to like 61 when Abdulkader's not there. Oh, my God. God. Yeah. Uh, wasn't Larkin among the league leaders in Corsi relative as well? Yes. Too? Um, you know, you want to know a player that makes their Corsi 4 way better on that first line? Nyquist, Bertuzzi. 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 Larkin, Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi. Nyquist, Bertuzzi, um makes that line way better. So it's. Well, uh, they've, they've actually been running Nyquist, Bertuzzi, Larkin the last couple games, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um,. Mantha is also someone that makes that line significantly better, but as Prashant noticed, uh, noted, um, he thinks the better move would be to give Mantha his own line because the way he generates uh, chances, he can essentially carry his own line the way that Larkin does. So it makes more sense to split him up and have two really high-end, sorry, serviceable and, and positive lines. Yeah, they got Mantha with Nielsen and Vanek right now. Something and like that. And Vanek oh, God. started scoring lately. So that I gotta wonder what you did in a previous life to garner you that. <laughs> oh. Meanwhile, it's nice. Detroit is back. Like They're a very streaky team, but Athanasiu is riding a hot streak right now, and Bertuzzi's riding a hot streak right now, and they're playing on different lines. And Vanek's riding a hot streak, who is also on a different line. This is nice. It's weird, but it's nice. Detroit's good players playing well are essentially the composition of Detroit's like super teams from like 10-plus years ago, but from the second line down. <laughs> there's not the first line, like Datsuk, no. Iserman, Federer. There's none of that. There's no Lidstrom, Rafalski. But everything below it, like you're no. getting those guys. But it's but since Mantha has come back and Helms come back and they've actually had some proper structure in the lines, even though the trade has not been winning a lot in the last four or five games, they've been competitive in those games. It's not like they're getting comically outshot they've like been, they were before. Like they didn't get their show run by Washington or Winnipeg. They didn't look like the better team and they didn't win, but they looked like they at least belonged on the same ice, which was new. Because for most of the losing streak here, or the stretch of losing, whatever you want to call it, there were games where Detroit was getting outshot 38 to 14 at points in the game. And that's not happening now, which is nice. They're tolerable to watch again. It's not like, what was it, that Islanders game where there was a point in third period, the shots were 39 to 12? Yeah, I think that's what it was. So it's we're not seeing that anymore, which is nice. Um, the... The Red Wings, it's been the ideal hockey to watch for a losing team, which is that, like you said, young guys are producing, you're seeing development, you're seeing excitement, but the people who cheer for the tank can still be happy. Exactly. Um, the, the the vets are so bad. They are they are literally dragging this team down, yeah. uh, despite how well Larkin, Mantha, Nyquist, Athanasiu, Chalosky, and Hronik have been playing lately. You can only do so much. Yeah. Uh, my biggest takeaway from the Jets game, those third jerseys are so stupid. I hate them so it's, much. You know what? It's not even that I hate those jerseys. Objectively, by themselves, in a vacuum, they're fine. I don't love them. I don't hate them. They're just, all right? It's what they could be. It's, that pisses me off. Winnipeg, those outdoor jerseys Winnipeg used a year or two ago yeah. were beautiful. Those should be their full-time jerseys. Those jerseys are literally sex-embodied in a jersey. 
and yet they can't use it. Because I understand that due to copyright, different franchise, they can't use the old Jets jerseys. Oh, yada, they yada, yada. could use it. It's f- they, the NHL could make it happen. Sure, but if they don't want to go down that legal fight, I, I get it. And they came up with the perfect alternative. They kind of, like, had the color Doesn't scheme. Does the NHL below- own all the stuff that belongs to Atlanta? I have no idea. The NHL could do it. True North wanted to sell. Well, no, this would this wouldn't be an uh, um, an Atlanta issue. This would be a F- Arizona. Sorry, issue. Sorry, Arizona. Yeah, but the NHL would make it happen. I think it's truly just that the True North ownership group doesn't didn't want to sell jerseys that most of Winnipeg already owned. Oh, if I was a Jets fan and you gave me the modernized version of the old jersey like they had, I'd buy three. They didn't even want to use the Jets name until there was nearly a riot, which would have been the first time in history that everyone in Winnipeg was outside the warmth of their homes at the, at the same time. Yeah. The, I don't. I, I think a lot more of it has to do with jersey sales and a want from the ownership group to move away from the old identity, which I can understand objectively written down on paper with no sentiment assigned. But knowing this is the Winnipeg Jets and this like this is the circumstance, just do just make the the easy choice is so easy. The NHL's golden age of jerseys really is such an easy thing to go back to. They just hold up. They hold up like a, a an old classic movie that just stands the test of time like honestly to really affect Detroit if Detroit next year brought back an old jersey that a lot of Red Wings fans already own the barber pole which is my favorite I'm still buying one if Detroit came out with a red jersey with just the word wings written across the chest in italics murder me I'm not buying it stab me through the heart and move the knife after I have no interest in that it's it's that's what this comes down to. It's is it aesthetically pleasing? That's all this should be about. Does Detroit have an out uh, like a stadium series game coming up? Probably not, and I hope not. I'm so sick of those things. Is Colorado getting one soon? Because it could be Detroit versus Colorado it's, again. Dallas is getting one next year, and I think two Canadian teams, from what I remember. Uh, one of my one of my friends is a Toronto fan, Brian. He said to me yesterday, uh, he thinks that this rumor about Detroit's third jersey might be uh, just like. An outdoor game. Jersey no, they announced the outdoor games for next year. Detroit is, n- unless Detroit's the team playing Dallas, they're not going to be involved. Detroit Dallas actually, uh, I think it's a little bit far back. Right, right now, apparently, the <clears throat> team that's the front runner to be playing them is Vegas. So I think I like that a lot. I don't yeah. think, have Dallas and Vegas even developed a rivalry? No, though? but it's Vegas, with every new team, throw Vegas in many of these shitty things up. as you can. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Just like when Seattle comes in. Seattle should get an outdoor game first year against Vancouver, honestly. Oh, if that doesn't happen, this league literally doesn't know how to market anything at all. Yeah, first or second year, throw Seattle into it. It's just like why I don't understand, like, San Jose's got this all-star game, great. No, Vegas should have had this all-star game, and Seattle should have it in, like, three years. Like, give the new teams as much of the showcase games as you can. Um, Speaking of San Jose... Eric Carlson is starting to play like one of the best defensemen in the league again. It's amazing. It's almost like it takes time for a player to adapt to a new team and a new system. And everyone is surprised. He's got, what, 14 assists in his last six games or something like that? He set a record, right, for most consecutive games of the point by uh, a Sharks defenseman? By a Sharks, Sharks player. player. yeah. <laughs> Not defenseman, player. Yeah. Uh, point streak. The, uh, the calls for his demise or the calls... I can't remember how the quote goes, but the, um, the calls of his demise were greatly exaggerated. Yeah. He's, um, no, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 I don't, anyone with half a brain, anyone, you know, reputable or knowledgeable would have said, yeah, no, we're not going to write off Carlson right now. 
Um, but there was still like an alarming chorus of people who said, oh, Carlson's washed, his ankle ruined everything, San Jose overpaid. I'm like, no, man. They still have one of the best defensemen in the league. That's a scary group. There's That's there's, a spoopy group. There's different types of players where you can expect the decline to be rapid. Not rapid, but like you can see it coming as their skill diminishes. Eric Carlson's not one of those players because the biggest skill he possesses and the biggest tool he has is his brain. He thinks the game's so much better than everybody else, and that's never going to diminish. No. So as long as his body can somewhat keep up, he's going to be a useful, valuable NHL defenseman. And while he's still in his prime age where his body's functioning as it is, he's going to be one of the best, if not the best defenseman in the NHL. And we're now seeing, oh, yeah, right, he's one of the best defensemen in the NHL. He's got 41 points in 44 games on the season now. And remember how slowly he started. I wouldn't be surprised to see him over a point a game. No, no, and I'm not. He's gonna. And everybody's like, "Oh, there's no way he's gonna get 10 million in free agency now." Yeah, he will. Oh, he going? Yeah, he he's will. getting. He's getting. If he goes outside of San Jose, he's getting seven years, seventy-seven from someone. I. And I hope it's Detroit, but I, I'm not putting money on that. But I think now is. Oh yeah, if you're if you're Ken Holland and or Steve Eisenman in the summer, um, you give him seven by eleven. Carlson, and you, and you don't think twice. Yeah. Hundred percent. You give Carlson that money, you find a way to get Duchesne or Mark Stone. You draft a Capocacco, Jack Hughes. Here's here's why perspective matters sometimes, and people laugh because um, I had a few people give me feedback when I said Duchesne was high on my list. They're like, "Man, Duchesne's not that good. He doesn't produce that much." Here's the part where I remind you that Duchesne, this Duchesne and Mark Stone this season are scoring at a better pace than Dylan Larkin. People, so I want to. I've I've echoed this so many times. You could clip me making this exact same statement so many times. People need to stop being so narrow sighted into a player's play or just a down year. Um, there was a time where Victor had, and this was when the podcast was. We had started this podcast. Victor Hedman was on the trading block and. Teams didn't want to give up a first-round pick for him. And I was losing my mind. I was like, trade for this guy. Are you kidding me? He is a ta- uh, like an elite-level prospect who's just taking a year or two longer to develop. No one did it. Tampa hung on to him in the end because the, they didn't get the price that they wanted. And now, look, they have a perennial Norris candidate. There are guys who can have a down year in a bad system or just you know their development doesn't look like Sidney Crosby's or Alex Ovechkin's or, or whoever else. Attain those guys while they're cheap. Why you want? To, why do you want to get them when the, while they're at their best? It's if you miss, that's fine. You still have probably still a great player, or you took your shot. If you don't get those guys, enjoy living in mediocrity, or and while you're hoping for uh, first overall pick to come through the lottery, it just does not make sense. You can't expect every. You can't expect to get a uh, number one trade piece for very few assets going their way. It just does not happen. You can't expect to get uh, to overpay and have it be worth your while either. You need to find that balance, and that's getting those guys while their value isn't at their highest, but anticipating how good they will be. If anyone says you're wrong for thinking Matt Duchesne's high on your list, they I just don't understand what hockey they've been watching. And again, we get too focused on Detroit itself. Like Larkin's having a phenomenal year, and we forget he's probably not one of the twenty top centerman in the NHL right now. Yeah, everyone's guilty so, of, of, of yeah. looking through different lenses and with different blinders, but in general, you got to broaden your mind and, and stop living so like tangentially. I still would not ever write off Carey Price, you know? Like, And people, yes, it's been a couple seasons now, but 
he's not exactly had a ton of help on defense. His team is a patchwork team that is on the same path that, in my mind, Detroit has been on the past however many years. They've basically been scrapped, scraped together with a lot of like uh, welded-on parts to stop the decline. Carey Price, yeah, could be playing better, but is still, in my mind, one of the best goaltenders in the world, talent-wise. And next year, when he's posting like a 9.35 with a sub-two goals against average, everyone's going to be saying, oh, oh, who could have predicted that this was going to come back? He just, Guys, sh- he yeah. just shut out Colorado, and he's been riding a real heater the last three weeks, so he might be back already. Nathan McKinnon, another one. Everyone was writing off Nathan McKinnon. He was a waste of a first overall pick. He's a bust prospect. He didn't turn into Crosby. Now look at him. It's not... People have got to stop being surprised by this stuff. And when you're a it's team... It's a Pikachu meme. It is. It's, it's the origins <laughs> of the Pikachu meme, honestly. Anyways, that's my rant about something that probably most people agree with regardless. Uh, we have time for quick hits. Uh, Rick Nash is retiring. He unfortunately, uh, because of the concussion he suffered, was it in 2017? Uh, not able to come back to hockey. Uh, so was that I, confirmed that it was he was not medically cleared, or he just said no, I'm not risking? I think it. he said for the betterment of his life after hockey, with because of post concussion issues. Yeah, so he just didn't remember this statement. Make, just didn't want to risk making it worse. Yeah, good and idea. That's smart. I'm glad to see a high, high end hockey player finally say it and finally be the first guy to really, really take that step. Where it looks like he could probably still play. He was getting contract offers this year from team, multi-year contract offers from teams. I'm sure he would have wanted to retire with Columbus too, if if an offer was there. He's dropping the puck for the Columbus New York game, Aww. which is nice. He'll always be a Blue Jacket. Screw you, Boston fans. Um, we have time to head over to. Oh, we have time. Of course, we're gonna head over to Patreon, where all of our patrons get their comments read out on air, guaranteed as our way of saying thank you. In this overtime segment, uh, I'm gonna pass this off to uh, Evan or Brad, who's gonna uh, read out these what? questions because I'm going to make a trip up to the little boys' room. I'm not reading shit. Oh, gosh. Um, Okay, Antonio says, Hey, guys, looking forward to listening to this episode while I drive from Chicago to Grand Rapids. I was wondering if you have any road trip traditions. For example, growing up, my mom always played Bob Seger in the car, and we would sing along. So... Bob Seger. Any road trip traditions? Yeah, eat god-awful food and... (laughs) I don't know. I don't really have any traditions. I do have a funny road trip story, though, so I'll ask that. Uh, I'll talk about that. So we were coming back from Halliburton, Ontario, driving through down the 401 past Toronto. Um, there were three cars of me and my friends. Uh, a tractor trailer had jackknifed in Milton and stopped us dead. Traffic, oh, traffic didn't move for like – we literally did not move for two hours. Um I had a sunroof in my car and it was open because it was a hot day and I was young and could not afford a car with air conditioning. Next thing I know, I felt like pennies and pieces of garbage falling in my lap and I realized that my friends behind me um, (laughs) were using my sunroof uh, as a basketball net. One thing led to another and uh, we got out of the cars. We had busted out some of the toys we brought camping, including a football. And on the side of the 401, just outside of Milton, we had a quasi- um, five on five football game going oh on while God. waiting for traffic to clear up. Um, I don't really have any road trip traditions. We just drink coffee and get the hell to where we need to go. <laughs> uh, Philip Gastineau says, first and foremost, if you didn't watch Snoop Dogg doing the play by play for LA last night, you have to watch it. It's literally gold. Well, I was playing that before we started. We're going to open with that. 
but we didn't because we suck. We yeah, suck. we didn't. I'm back. Uh, there was an article by The Athletic that talked about new tracking technology, and they're testing out for gambling stats, broadcasting, and even VR. It was really interesting. The point that stuck out to me the most was how they think this will help appeal to the younger audience. I think this will definitely help to appeal the younger generations get more involved. I'm 23, work in IT and game. Huh. Is this me from the past? <laughs> I literally met my fiance on WoW. Nope, never mind. Uh, we've lived together for two years. Hockey is the only sport I can watch religiously because every other sports is so slow. You know what? The you know what the NFL could use more commercials. I think more commercials. Double put the playcock to a minute and a half, please. But that's when you drink. Picture in picture commercials, but make the commercials the bigger picture in the game. The smaller um, picture. Do you know what the NFL could also change? Mm-hmm. Less New England Patriots. Yeah, well, Tom Brady's less, making that hard. Less quarterbacks kissing their kids for five seconds on the lips. Ah. <laughs> anyway, um, I find myself going on the computer instead. What are your guys' thoughts on this new technology? How it'll impact the game and grow it. Also, what are your guys' thoughts on esports and the fact that we'll probably be in the next next Winter Olympics? What? So, no, if esports ever end up in the Winter Olympics, uh, I'm gonna shit my pants. Why is it in the Winter Olympics? Here, here's the thing, Kate. Why I winter have, specifically? <laughs> I have no problem with esports at all. I actually love what major companies are doing and investing into it, and I love the fact that professional sports teams are meeting into it. But that's not an athletic endeavor, so it should not be in an athletic event like the Olympics. I consider it mental athleticism. Yeah. It's yeah. like a chess or ice dancing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm all for it. I love it. I love teams integrating with it. I just please don't call it <sighs> as an actual sport. I just don't. I, I love esports, and I've played a ton of Counter-Strike and been involved in that scene. I just don't know how it translates to the general population that well. Like, me explaining what Counter-Strike and Dota are to people who don't do that, think I'm an idiot and don't understand it at all. And but I show it to them, they don't care. But that's okay, because like there's certain Olympic events that I don't understand at all. I have no idea how the scoring, how the functioning works, so I just let uh, those people skating. do this. <laughs> I only play high-end esports, like uh, Fortnite and Roblox. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, your thoughts on all this advanced tech tracking, uh, advanced stats coming from the sport itself, though it's going to be clunky at first and not nearly to the level that we want, it's a great foundation and it is exactly, if you want to know the next big things in uh, professional hockey from a business perspective, that and betting and both of them are coming and that's what's going to help this game explode and grow. Just pray, pray, pray that that doesn't mean that the NHL expands beyond 32 teams. Um, the But yeah, I 100% am in favor of that. As for esports, I love video games. I love them getting a bigger audience. Um, I love what big video game personalities have done to make themselves more uh, acceptable to the, the, the mainstream so they can get more exposure. Putting them in the Olympics, uh, I'm not a fan, but the Olympics are also you know, a joke in terms of how things are determined and where they go. So I'm not going to, you know, set anything on fire if video games are available. I don't watch most Olympic sports anyway. So although if it would be kind of a gut punch, if someone could play NHL 19 in the Olympics for a medal, but the NHL players couldn't go actually play for a medal. Um, <laughs> so that's my take on that. Uh, we are going, th- Evan, thank you for taking over while I was gone. 
I'm going to move over to Clayton Van Dyken. He says, hey, guys, it's been a while since I posted. Just want to say I'm still watching Wings games and I'm always listening to the podcast. Thank you for your support, Clay. Don't really have any hockey questions today, though. Instead, have any of you seen Spider-Verse? I honestly can't recommend it enough. Maybe the most enjoyable movie all the way through I've seen in years. Anywho, have a good one. I have not seen it yet. I really, really, really do want to. Neither have I. I... I have a child. I don't, I don't watch many movies. Yeah, I haven't watched it. I'm I not a theater guy as much as I used to be. I love going to the movies, but again, that requires babysitters that are not always available. Although I did finally catch up on Bird Box. So, oh, wow. how'd you like it? I enjoyed it. I the hype was a bit much. It didn't quite live up to the hype for me, but I I enjoyed it for what I it thought was. it was decent. Yeah, yeah. it was good. Uh, the Do you con- guys watch Bandersnatch? Yeah, I got I a lot know. of the end. I feel like people are really low on that for. <laughs> And they just don't get it. It's like M. Night Shyamalan movies. People always trash his movies, but I always find them wildly thought-provoking. And I thought Banner Snatch was definitely one of those. Yeah, I think they did a great job making it with thought-provoking. As long as you go in not expecting a classic Black Mirror episode, but more of a, just an exper- a new innovative experience, I thought it was great. Yeah. Although, I should say about M. Night Shyamalan, I think the guy has a lot of talent, but he should forever apologize to humanity for putting out The Happening. That is easily the worst movie I've seen. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an argument here. I think if you put anybody but Mark Wahlberg in there, it's not a good movie, but it's at least tolerable <laughs> at that point. That was the single worst acting performance I've ever seen in my life, and I have seen The Room. I, I'm trying to remember the line that Mark, when Mark Wahlberg was arguing with the like the train ticket agent. I can't remember oh, what God. it was. Anyways, I, I my to... favorite one was he was talking to the plastic plant. Yep, of course. Yeah, no. Uh, Garrett TV says I want to comment regarding a criticism posted last week towards your guys' uh, alleged wavering opinions on various topics over the years. Firstly, I applaud you for reading it on the air. Uh, that said, uh, for a group of fans slash non-insiders, I think you guys do a pretty good job of remaining on topic and reasonable in your opinions. To criticize you for changing your opinions based on the direction the wind is blowing and you're totally behind it, in quotations, is a pretty tough line. I think there's been some change over the years, sure, but as you pointed out in your response to this criticism, you're not afraid to evolve. My God, how we need more of that mentality in the world, so thank you. But even still, calling you out on the, for the Mrazic thing was tough. Not, not only was that by far the prevailing opinion of the Detroit sports world at the time, but the criticism of you saying that of you via saying that leaving Morazic exposed more or less turned out to be the right decision takes entirely away from the fact that we have no clue how that decision impacted his psyche. Perhaps protecting him would have changed his play and confidence. We can never know, but we do know hindsight is always twenty twenty, and it's tough to be much ahead of the direction of the wind is blowing when you're not someone like the Bob Father, not really able to gain deep insights until things have happened. You're also consistently open to admitting uh, being wrong, and generally not nearly as knee-jerk as reactionary as was suggested. I've listened to fan podcasts from many teams in several sports, and this is and this place is by far the most reasonable and informative I've ever come across. Sincerely, maybe it's just because I've lived in Chicago for 12 years and have been subjected to the laughably, laughable irrationality of their fan bases. But thanks for doing what you do. As you can tell by the rambling nature of my comments, if I had to be talking in front of a mic for three plus hours a week, things would get pretty dicey. So keep it up and let's go, Red Wings. <laughs> Is there a question in there? I can't remember. No, but that was uh, very heartfelt and uh, sincere and incredibly kind, and that means the world to us. So thank you. Put it as a review. On iTunes. <laughs> Just copy and paste. Uh, I, we really appreciate that, Garrett. Um, of course, we're always... We, 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 we beg you guys for any constructive criticism, accolades or, or you know positive, negative, or neutral that you have. Uh, always happy to adapt. We're happy that you kind of agreed... Um, and saw our side of things, um, and not that we took that uh, the comment from last week, you know, in a negative way. I thought it was constructive, and um, it's always 
good to even talk this out on air. We are always, um, our main goal is to make this the best show we possibly can for you guys with all the resources we can have in a little bit more. It's not fun if we all agree. No. Um, so yeah, thank you, Garrett. Uh, Kaylin Wood says, Tuesday scores threesies. That was a fun game and hope it helps uh, the boys' confidence. I have to fly back to Nebraska this week, so you guys are saving my sanity with this pod. Well, you guys and beer. Lots and lots of beer. That's funny. Beer saves our sanity. So beer truly is what brought you this podcast. Yes. The Winged Wheel Podcast, sponsored by beer. Use promo code BEER for beer. <laughs> Joe Caboose119Z Falzon says, Who's the prospect playing well that nobody's talking about? I love Lindstrom, but I feel like he's finally getting noticed. So is it Gallant, Kevin Mackey, Adams, Petruzzelli, Eliason? Kevin Mackey had a stint in the like at the highest level in Finnish hockey and didn't overly impress, but at the same time, he still weighs like no pounds. Yeah. He makes me look like a giant. Um, yeah, he's probably that. I I still don't think Philip Larson's getting the amount of talk that he deserves because he is playing very well for the University of Denver right now, despite missing the first couple months of this season with injury. He is looking like our best bet to be the number one goalie overall. But my vote for the prospect who's not getting enough attention is probably going to be Jesper Eliasson, the goalie we took in the third round out of Sweden last year who is having a very fine season in Sweden right now. Uh, Angelo says, hey guys, just recently became a patron and love the show. Welcome to the family, Angelo. Thank you so much for your support. He says, how's our goalie prospects looking? If Howard <laughs> is traded, which I doubt at this point, would we have anyone to bring up that's ready? Not too sure uh, about Bernie as a full-time starter. Have a great week, guys, and thanks for all the content. Uh, short answer, no. No, no yeah. there is nobody there. Uh, Hari Satri and Patrick Rebar in Grand Rapids look like they'd be capable NHL backups. Not good or great. Um, Philip Larson, Jesper Eliasson, and Keith Petrozelli all look like they have potential, but the best of them is probably at least three years away. Mm-hmm. So Detroit is... This is why I don't think Howard gets traded is because I think we're going to need Jimmy for at least three more years as a stopgap. So, yeah, that's kind of where it lies right now. Lots of potential, but nothing imminent. Uh, Rowan says, does this year's deadline feel like there's more talent available than previous years, or is it just because we have a few more assets and we could trade we could trade uh, that the depth stands out? No. A little bit of both, I think. No, it's definitely because the talent's there. Like, you've got... When was the last time at one team had two players like Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone who could be moved? Oh, you're talking league-wide. Yeah, yeah, and then you look at Panarin who, and Bobrovsky, who might be available, Wayne Simmons. There's just... I have not... There's been lots of trade deadlines with lots of talent. It's just I've never seen a trade deadline with this much top-line talent. Uh, Nyquist probably isn't a lot of teams first and probably even second choice for a winger for example the Howard thing is fascinating and as mentioned previously whatever happens with Bobrovsky may prove to be telling definitely sucks that the Sens will be likely sellers as we need them to be good so the evil no good horrible Avs don't get a nice lottery pick go Sens Jersey time. Ryan, you mentioned the Centennial jersey last episode and how it's grown on you. They're even nicer once you get your uh, get one in your hands. I recommend obtaining one. What has been the best non-Wings Red Wings outdoor game jersey? I'll save you uh, time on the worst. It's the Ducks Stadium Series and the Wings Stadium Series. So, sure, Stadium Series is good. Um, San Jose's two-colored abominations were pretty I bad. I didn't mind, though. I thought they were, I thought they were clever. Best? Here's the problem. There's been so many fucking outdoor game jerseys, I can't actually remember half of them. Um, Toronto's Ryan, Toronto's jerseys for the the big house game were pretty nice. They were all right. 
Didn't hate him, didn't love him. I'm literally struggling to remember most of these jerseys. I was going to say any one of Chicago's just by volume alone. I like Pittsburgh's baby blues. Before every team decided to do a baby blue. Really? Yeah, that, that Pittsburgh-Buffalo game was aesthetically pleasing from both ends. Buffalo went to the proper, their proper jerseys. Um, Pittsburgh's baby blues looked nice, again, before every team decided to go with the same freaking theme. Um, yeah, I'm just going to go with that game as my answer. All right, and we said we're going to have hashtag AskWWP, and we're going to take a few of those questions every episode. So if you tweet with the hashtag AskWWP, uh, well, you uh, might make it into overtime. So Woodson, number two, says, uh, if the Wings end up taking pick uh, four or five, will they take a center or take a D-man? Based on the strength of this draft, it'll almost certainly be a forward. I'm not even going to say center because I don't know that there's a defenseman who slips into the top five right now. Ideals right now, the three, four, five guys look like Pod Coles and Cousins and Doc, who are all centermen, which is good, I believe. Um, but they're all forwards. Byram would be right on the cusp of going somewhere between six and nine. So, yeah, they probably go forward. And again, I think Detroit needs to draft a four, a high end forward before they draft a high end defenseman, just because they don't have a mega high end centerman or number one defenseman prospect right now, and they have more defensive prospects. So at least they have depth there they need forwards uh ryan lee says not really wings related but could you see a scenario where mcdavid gets so fed up with the oilers organization that he requests slash demands a trade out (laughs) yeah i you know it's very unlikely and i want to qualify before anyone clips this and throws it on reddit and calls me a dumbass uh i'm going to qualify this by saying it's so so unlikely it's almost not even worth talking about but if you had to say whether it was more likely last year or this year, it's definitely getting more likely now with this whole Chiarelli mess. I don't uh, think it'll happen soon, but if Edmonton does not improve in the next four years, yeah, I, oh, absolutely. The guy's going to compare himself to Sidney Crosby, and Sidney Crosby had to work on some things before winning a cup. But, you know, McDavid's consistently the best player. Obviously, he's the best player in the world. Um, he, there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do with a team this bad to win a cup. It's just not possible. He and he's better help. He's LeBron James in his first stint with Cleveland. And he can't help but look around when Crosby, Ovechkin, Patrick Kane, and Jonathan Taze, when a lot of these stars came into the league, their teams were awful. Like the worst, the worst of the worst in the NHL. And then they got good pretty fast because they built around the stars. Obviously, themselves certainly helped the case, but they're. GM's built around him. It was Pittsburgh missed the playoffs in 2006 by infinity points and then made the cup finals in 2008. Chicago missed the playoffs in 2008 by a lot and then won the cup in 2010. When you have superstars, it's not that hard to build around them. And uh, yeah, Edmonton's just going backwards somehow. Uh, Iserbaz says, given the potential cap space, cap space free at the end of the season, should Detroit avoid any signing any free agents unless a bona fide superstar wants to come and save that space to be weaponized and taking bad contracts from contenders with picks or prospects? Oh no! I if it, if you sign a superstar, you sign a superstar. No, no, he means uh, like superstars not included. Um, it depends. Like again, if it's like a secondary defenseman who's still valuable, like Tyler Myers or Alex Edler, if you can get them on a reasonable contract, you do it. Although from the sounds of it, Edler's not leaving Vancouver. Um, again, reasonable contract. Um, but no, yeah, you shouldn't limit yourself. 
you see what's out there and you act accordingly. But yeah, I'm pretty much superstar or bust in my mind at this point. In general, the same way. Yeah. Um, Ryan Porter asked, um, would it make sense for Detroit to can Blash Hill soon and give give Bilesma half a season trial to, uh, to work with? What are your thoughts? Just don't want Detroit to lose Bilesma to another team looking for a head coach. There are no shortage of coaching options. I really don't care what yeah. they do for the rest of the season, honestly. All right, we're going to head over to the Reddit thread where we have a time for a few of the questions. Evan's got to go. Evan's got to go. Got hockey. See you later. Somebody has to beat the second worst place team in the league tonight. <laughs> Uh, it's not us for once. <laughs> Graffinino says, My boys and I recently attended our first ever NHL game, Wings vs. Flames. The Wings lost, but our homemade helmets, oh, I remember those, were a huge hit. Lots of people said we should sell them online and a gift shop employees said fans were asking about them in the store. I initially thought of these as a fun thing for our group going to the game, both the incredible feedback of the game and decided to open an Etsy store make them available to other Wings fans. Best part is all proceeds from the helmets will go directly into our upcoming adoption, adding another little one to the Red Wings fan base. That's Aww. nice. Uh, Buy the helmets, you monsters. Yeah, if you want to check it out, it's um, the link is on our Reddit thread. It's the Graffinino post. They are very cool, and he even posted his adoption story. Would love nothing more than see a bunch of these helmets at a Wings game in the future. May just have to send a freebie along to the Winged Wheel podcast for that background collection you're all working on. Yeah, we support. Oh, some other people wanted to send us stuff. And I'm I, a fan of free things. Yeah, so, yeah. I, forget, I forgot. To, if you were a person who asked for an address and I just didn't answer you, please... Uh, hit me in the head and just ask again. Um, yeah, don't, go check those out. They're actually hel- like they're so cool. Uh, I remember when he tweeted at us. I showed everyone the helmets. They were very very cool. He sent us one. Make Evan wear it for the entire episode. Look at these. Have you seen them? Yeah, they're very very cool. Oh, the Thor helmets. Yeah, I yeah. remember seeing those. Um, Kimosabe R22 says I've heard a lot about the names Hughes, Kako, Cousins, Doc, Pod, Colson, and Byram. If we end up choosing outside of the top five, are there any prospects besides them that you guys are high on? Buffalo Soldier 11 replied with all caps. Broberg. <laughs> uh, I I like Broberg. Um, one name that I, I'm I, that intrigues me um, is Cole Caulfield. Really, really small forward for the U.S. National Development Program, but he just scores a ton of goals. And again, he's not the fastest player. He's not the flashiest player, but he just scores a ton of goals. And and the player that comes to mind when I see that is Alex DeBrinkett, who somehow slipped to the second round. Caulfield won't go anywhere near that far down. Um, but again, it's if you score goals, you score goals, and that's your thing. Um, Another guy that Jay Letty brought up was Arthur uh, Kaliev. Kaliev, yep, same thing. He's a much different player than Caulfield because Kaliev, in terms of height, is a monster, um, but just but just scores goals. I don't like Kaliev as much as I like Caulfield. Um, I, I feel Kaliev's a very similar player to Mantha. Um, not that that's a bad thing. There, There is a lot of potential outside of the top five, definitely. Um, what's his name? Cam York, the defenseman from the U.S. Yes. National Development Program, yeah, uh, he- is intriguing. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have been talking high on Matthew Boldy. I'm not huge on him, but worth keeping an eye on. It's going to be a big year for the National Development Program in the top end of the draft. So they're a team definitely worth watching a few guys on. Is there a uh, number in the draft that you think if Detroit slips below them, they'll have lost out on the potential at a, a high-impact guy that would have made a difference right then? Does that make Six. sense? Six. So as long as they end up – so pretty much the same deal as they were last year. Basically same deal as last year. You've got Hughes, Kako – Pod Colson, Doc, Cousins, and I will throw Byram in there just because you should have at least one defenseman in there. So if Detroit misses the top five forwards, but they still get the best defenseman in the draft, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, anything past that, yeah, we'd have to hope for another Barrett Hayton situation. Okay. So then in, in, in that case, there's not really 
Detroit's essentially in the exact same position because in terms of the talent available, in terms of how much we hyped up Deline and what he would do for Detroit and what Jack Hughes could do for Detroit, a centerman and defenseman, both like superstar potential are the biggest needs. Mm -hmm. And so I'm uh, truthfully just uh, stalling a little bit because I'm trying to get to our list of uh, patrons so I can do our readout on uh, for our thank yous because we're at uh, the end of the episode now. Mm. We would like to thank everyone for listening, um, all of our Patreon patrons, all of our listeners, all of our supporters. If you can't support on Patreon, other ways to support us, follow however you get your podcast, subscribe, hit that like button, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod, and then go to our bio, follow our individual accounts. We're all very active. We love to engage with you guys on Twitter. Um, Leave us a rating wherever you can leave us a rating, iTunes, what have you, um, anything that you want to do to support the show. Uh, thank you guys just so much for listening. I want to, I'm trying to get to thanking all of our uh, top level sponsors, but I'm on my phone here because my laptop had a little bit, was on the fritz today and uh, it's not loading. And so for all of our name level sponsors, uh, I'll make it up to you at the beginning of the next episode. Uh, we could just guess. <laughs> Brock oh, oh no I think this is the wrong list um, so thank you all so much again uh, we are going to be back to you, with you later this week Wednesday or Thursday to be determined hey good way to keep up with that follow us on Twitter have I said follow us on Twitter follow us on Twitter 